my name is Nate. And my name is Matt. And you're listening to the Briley's Bad Podcast. Today we, we will be talking about the history of the consumer computer and how it evolved into the smaller, convenient desktop computer we all know today. The first computer ever made wasn't actually a computer. In 1822, an English mathematician, Charles Babbage, comes up with a steam-driven calculating machine that would be able to compute tables of numbers. The project, funded by the English government, flopped. This project may have failed, but lays the path for a successful project more than a century later. In 1890, Herman Hollerith designed a punch card system similar to Joseph Mary Jacquard's loom system in 1801. Joseph invented a loom that uses punched wooden cards to automatically weave fabric designs, which is a very similar system to Herman's. Herman used this system to calculate the 1880 census Accomplishing that task in just three years and saving the government $5 million, he established a company that would later become IBM. After Herman's success, various other advancements were made. Alan Turing presented the notion of a universal machine capable of computing anything that is computable. J.V. Atanasoff, a professor of physics and mathematics at Iowa State University, attempts to build the first computer without gears, cams, belts, or shafts. Eventually, in 1941, Atanasoff and his graduate student, Clifford Berry, designed a computer that can solve 29 problems simultaneously. This computer was later named the ABC Atanasoff Berry Computer. This makes the first time a computer is able to store information on its main memory. Then, from 1943 to 1944, two University of Pennsylvania professors, John Malchi and J. Presper Eckert, built the ENIAC or Electronic Numeral Integrator and Calculator. It was the first digital computer ever made. It fills a 20-foot by 40-foot room and has 18,000 vacuum tubes. Although it was originally designed to calculate military firing tables, its first program was to study the capabilities of a nuke, or hydrogen bomb. It also cost an an astounding $500,000, which is about $7,200,000 today. Several vacuum tubes burned out almost every day, rendering the machine non-functional half the time. The computer was at the most stress during the startup and cool-down periods, which is when the vacuum tubes would fail most. Engineers in 1948 came out with much more high-quality vacuum tubes, reducing the failing tubes to one every two days. The longest time the ENIAC stayed functional without failure is 116 hours or five days. Mockley and Presper eventually leave the University of Pennsylvania and receive funding from the Census Bureau to build the UNIVAC, the first commercial computer for business and government applications. William Shockley and Ben Bardeen and Walter Britton of Bell Laboratories in 1947 invented the transistor, discovering how to make an electric switch with solid materials and no longer having a need for a vacuum. Grace Hopper, in 1953, developed the first computer language, which eventually became known as COBOL, or Common Business-Oriented Language. As the name reveals, COBOL was primarily used in business, finance, and administrative systems for companies and governments. COBOL is still widely used in applications deployed on mainframe computers, such as large-scale batch and transaction processing jobs. However, due to its declining popularity and the retirement of experienced COBOL programmers, Programs are being migrated to new platforms, rewritten in modern languages, or replaced with software packages. Most of the programming in COBOL is now purely to maintain existing applications. However, 
Many large financial institutions are still developing new systems in COBOL as late as 2006 due to mainframe processing speed. Eventually, in 1964, Doug Engelbart shows a prototype of the modern computer with a mouse and a graphical user interface, also known as a GUI. This marks the evolution of the computer from being a specialized machine used exclusively by scientists and mathematicians to technology that can be used by the public. This podcast cost over $10 to make, so thanks to Honey for sponsoring this podcast. Have you ever found yourself spending money online? Have you ever said to yourself, how did my total add up to $21,572.62? Well, fret no more. Honey is here for you. I just spent $2,563.86 on McDonald's, and when I applied Honey to the discount codes, I saved $317. If you want money, then go to joinhoney.com slash MrBeast. The more money, the merrier. In 1971, Alan Shergart led a team of IBM engineers to invent the floppy disk, a thin and flexible disk of a magnetic storage in a square enclosure lined with a fabric that removes dust particles from the spinning disk. It was a storage device that allows data to be shared between computers. The January issue of Popular Electronics Magazine features the Altair 8080, described as the world's first mini-computer kit to rival commercial models. Two computer geeks, Paul Allen and Bill Gates, offered to write software for the Altair using the new basic language. On April 4th, after the success of the first endeavor, the two childhood friends formed their own software company, Microsoft. This all took place in 1975. Just a year later, Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak started Apple Computers on April Fool's Day and introduced the Apple One, the first computer with a single circuit board, according to Stanford University. If you don't know what a single circuit board is, it's pretty much a functioning computer in which the microprocessor, input and output function, memory, and other features are built onto a single circuit board, with RAM built in at a predetermined amount and no expansion slots for peripherals. Afterwards, Apple introduces the Macintosh with a television commercial during the 1984 Super Bowl. The ad featured the destruction of Big Brother, a veiled reference to IBM, through the power of personal computing found in a Macintosh. The Macintosh was the first powerful mouse-driven computer with a graphical user interface and was based on the Motorola 68000 microprocessor. Its price was $2,500. Applications that came as part of the package included MacPaint, which made use of the mouse, and MacWrite, which demonstrated W-Y-S-I-W-Y-G. What you see is what you get, word processing. In one instant, Apple sued Microsoft for copying the look and feel of their Mac operating system. It started when Bill Gates was one of the first outside developers to get a Macintosh prototype before its release in 1984. The company was to create a productivity software, like word processing, spreadsheets, etc. for the Mac. Gates instantly fell in love with the Mac OS, and after the public unveiling of Macintosh, Gates begged Apple to license the software to outside manufacturers so that Macintosh would become the standard of personal computing. Although speculation grew to Gates' motives, Gates himself stated that Microsoft's software profit margins were much higher on Mac OS than for those on IBM's licensed MS-DOS platform. For many reasons, Gates' proposal was declined by Jean Laus Gasset, who had been given control of Macintosh after Steve Jobs was fired. Later, in November of 1985, Windows released Windows 1.0, which alarmed a number of individuals at Apple because they believed that Microsoft had stolen several design elements of Mac operating system. Apple threatened to sue.
Because of the close relationship between the two companies, they eventually came to an agreement where an Apple licensed Macintosh design elements to Microsoft to be used in Windows. For an unknown reason, Apple's legal team didn't catch the fact that the agreement was written to license the use of Apple features in Windows 1.0 and all future Microsoft software programs. Apple was then surprised when Windows 2.0 featured even more design elements copied straight from the Macintosh operating system. Apple skipped the threats and went straight to filing a lawsuit. Unfortunately for Apple, Judge William Schwarzer ruled that 179 of the 189 contested visual displays that Apple claimed infringed on its copyrights were covered by the existing license, and the rest weren't eligible for copyright anyway because of the merger doctrine, which states that ideas cannot be copyrighted. After a number of appeals, the legal battle finally ended on February 21st, 1995, when the Supreme Court denied Apple's petition for further review. In 2003, with a distinctive anodized aluminum case and hailed as the first true 64-bit personal computer, the Apple G5 is the most powerful Macintosh ever released at the point. While larger than the previous G4 towers, G5 had comparatively limited space for expansion. Virginia Tech used more than 100 Power Mac G5, G5s to create the System X cluster supercomputer, rated number three in November of that year on the world's top 500 fastest computers. In 2008, Apple introduced their first Ultra Notebook, a light, thin laptop with high-capacity battery. The Air incorporated many of the technologies that had been associated with Apple's MacBook line of laptops, including integrated camera and Wi-Fi capabilities. To reduce its size, the traditional hard drive was replaced with a solid-state disk, the first mass-market computer to do so. From starting with computers that take up 800 square feet to some that just take up two is a huge jump. Computers will only continue to get better and better in the future. Have you ever wanted to listen to music anywhere, but you hate the hassle of wires getting in your way? Luckily for you, this podcast is sponsored by Raycom Wireless Earbuds. Raycom Wireless Earbuds provide premium sound quality and comfort at a lower price than most other earbuds, namely Apple's AirPods. If you weren't satisfied with the normal Raycon earbuds, you can always upgrade to the Pros. Features include a built-in microphone, sweat and water resistance, and a 10-hour playback time, and a 30-foot Bluetooth range. Saving money, having an unmatched listening experience, you really can't go wrong buying a pair of these. These truly are the best bang for your buck.